<laughs> we work so hard to get stronger, happier, more productive and successful. Don't forget the secret ingredient. Get grounded in play. Play grounding when it's time to get a life. Welcome back to another episode of the Playgrounding Podcast. This is Kara Stewart, again, speaking to you from the Treehouse at Theory Labs here at the brewery in Los Angeles. We had an amazing weekend last weekend with the brewery Art Walk again. Thousands of people wall-to-wall inside of our warehouse. It was just a wonderful, wonderful time. If you ever get a chance to make it out here, it's just, it's exciting. So many food trucks showed up this time, um... Just really an amazing time. Got to come visit us sometime. Um, Wow, I'm kind of turning a corner here with the podcast. I know I just got started. I've spent a lot of time just kind of talking about play and about why it's so important and why, especially in the last episode, why I felt like it was worthy of an entire podcast in, of all things, the health and wellness and maybe even business productivity categories on iTunes. Um, And I feel like I've kind of been making the case for the idea that us everyday folks that don't necessarily have like all these exciting things going on in our lives, we're not out there being Robert De Niro or, you know, we're, we're just going through our everyday lives trying to learn how to get by and still enjoy life, even if we're not in a job that lights us up the way we possibly could. I've talked a lot about those kinds of things, about kind of finding our way. What I'd like to move into, starting next week, I just had an amazing episode recorded with a woman named Michelle Barton, and Michelle's an actress, and all of us aren't necessarily going to be actresses. I'm also going to be interviewing some people who their lines of work and the kind of way that they approach the world might not seem that accessible to a lot of us. I know they don't really to me. When I when I meet these people and I hear what they do, I just think, oh man, I wish I did something that cool with my life. <laughs> um, I'm already 41 years old and I just I can't imagine I'm going to be moving into a direction like that. And I just kind of set myself aside from them, put myself in a category apart from them and say, you know, I can really appreciate what they do, but that's them and that's not me. And that's true. Not every single one of the people that I'll be having on um, going forward will seem like they click with you or like the kinds of things that they're doing. They might not seem accessible to you. But the reason why I'm going to have them on is because they are people just like you and me. They're not, they don't have superpowers. They don't, they don't drink some special juice in the morning that makes them any better than anyone else um, alive today. And I kind of wanted to, before we go forward, look at the eight play personalities that are described in Stuart Brown's book on play, um, because I feel like we can all learn from different people who've really learned how to take play and playfulness and make it a part of their daily lives as well as their work. Um, And some of these people are really amazing. And what I want you to do is Don't let yourself feel separated out from who they are. Don't let yourself feel intimidated by some of the crazy, amazing things that they do. Stop for a minute and just think of some of the things you have in common with these people. And I think using the play personalities, that might be a really great way to do it. Um, So what I want to do is go through these. And as we go on throughout the podcast, we'll be talking about the play personalities. We miraculously talk about 
all of them again next week in the context of Michelle's story and some of her ways of looking at play, um, which is actually really exciting because, yeah, you'll you'll hear about it then. Um, but what I want to do with some of these people is to say, hmm, I wonder which play personality you gravitate toward and how that led you to some of these choices that you made and some of the amazing work that you do in your lives. And I think those of us who may not encounter play as much as we used to might find it difficult to even get started. And for me, reading this book, reading Stuart Brown's book on play, that was a great, it's been a really great place for me to begin my own journey with play, sort of learning how to take a step back and stop taking life so seriously in order to actually continue to grow. And there, I want to read you a few more quotes from Stuart's book before I get into the play personalities. Um, of course, as we know from last week, neuroscientists, developmental biologists, psychologists, social scientists, and researchers from every point in the scientific compass now know that play is a profound biological process that has evolved over eons in many animal species to promote survival. So that's a quote out of his book. I just want you to remember what we're talking about is vitally important. It's as important as getting sleep. It's as important as eating right. We may not die quite as quickly, but um, we might feel like we want to. Um, here are a few more quotes that I want to read before we get into the importance of the play personalities and maybe discover yours. Many studies have demonstrated that people who continue to play games, who continue to explore and learn throughout life, are not only much less prone to dementia and other neurological problems, but are also less likely to get heart disease and other afflictions that seem like they have nothing to do with the brain. That's amazing to me. Um, wow. Yeah, this is, you really got to read this book, <laughs> Stuart Brown's book on play. I put a link to it in the show notes, I'm trying to drive this point home. And here's the kicker to me. When we stop playing, we stop developing. And when that happens, the laws of entropy take over. Things fall apart. We become vegetative staying in one spot, not fully interacting with the world, more plant than animal. When we stop playing, we start dying. And if you've ever been in one of those stuck spots, and maybe even not have any idea why, maybe con considering playfulness is the best next step. I always say, trying to fix yourself it's a great endeavor. Listen to all the podcasts. Figure out the best kind of food to eat for your body. Figure out what kind of exercise works for you that inspires you enough to make you do it every day. Learn new skills. Take classes. Whatever it takes to make life more interesting. If you keep coming up empty, if you've taken that fifth productivity class and online, of course, because what else did anybody have to do to try to like, you know, streamline your day. Maybe you're just not using your time wisely. All the things we try to do and they're good things. If you keep coming up empty, try play. And when I say try play, I mean, for some of us, it just sounds stupid as we've talked about. But I think if we go through these play personalities, you might it might give you like a menu to choose from. So let's get started on the eight play personalities. Before I do that, I'm going to read a definition of play one more time from Stuart Brown's book. It's a state of mind. Play is a state of mind, not an activity. The 
number one play personality is the Joker. The Joker, as he describes, is the most basic and extreme player throughout history. The Joker's play always revolves around some kind of nonsense. The first kind of human play we all engage in, baby talk, it begins with nonsense. Parents make infants laugh by making silly sounds, blowing raspberries, and generally being foolish. Think class clown. Um, these are the people who might not seem like what they're offering to the world is terribly important, but it's actually very, very, very important. It's vital. Um, the Joker has been an interesting kind of character throughout history, and one of my favorite ways that I was introduced to the importance of the Joker is through the work of William Shakespeare. I, I began being obsessing over Shakespeare in college, and while this type of trope is all over literature, one of my favorite examples of why the Joker is so important is from the play Macbeth. There's a character, his name is the Porter. He was kind of a guard, like a security guard, standing, you know, watch over a door. Um, by the time we meet the porter in the play, everything has gone straight to hell. I mean, it's murder, bloody mayhem. Think like Breaking Bad and some of like the worst, most scary parts of Walking Dead. Um, the plot has thickened so much. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but like just life gets so crazy that sometimes you can't even watch these types of shows. Um, you get into those points in the plot where you just you have to turn it off because you're just like, oh man, nothing good can possibly come of this situation. And th there are times when I actually do turn it off because I just, I can't go there. And when you're an audience member in a play and the playwright takes you to such a terrifying place and you're just so distraught over what's happening to these poor people, Shakespeare used to use this, this mechanism, bringing in a joker and the joker would just uh, suddenly appear completely like mix things up for you for a minute, say some really stupid yet usually always very profound things and suddenly lighten your mood. And it's exactly what you need in some of those really, really desperate points when he really wants, to, Shakespeare really wants to turn the screws and just make things get even worse. But he wants you to come along with him. He doesn't want to lose you. He'll throw in a character like this to suddenly offer this levity that you desperately, desperately need. Um, and I think that the jokers of this world don't get enough credit. The, the class clowns of this world, I think that people who are stand-up comedians, as I've been learning recently going to stand-up classes, these people are who we desperately, desperately need. You know, kings would have a court jester. I mean, this is, this is the kind of thing that, that it's not easy. And now I'm married to a joker. <laughs> um, we are a perfect match because I am way too serious most of the time. I, I'm earnest, as I like to say it. I'm I'm trying so hard these days, which is part of what I'm doing with this podcast, to just let myself go and play. And one of the things I remember the most about the first few months of knowing him was just watching him, <laughs> watching him play, watching him spin fire, watching him um, lead a group of people you know, onto the playa at Burning Man, um, just sitting at a bar with him, he will have the loudest, loudest laugh. He'll make the silliest, silliest jokes. Um, but you can't, 
not smile when you're around this person most of the time. And that's exactly what I needed in my life as someone who is very over earnest. So if you are a joker, hats off to you. You are, you keep the rest of us sane and thank you for what you do. And anyone who's ever made fun of you for being a joker or doesn't take you seriously, um, you just remember your role in this world and in history and in storytelling. Um, you are massively, massively important in the kind of play that you do. So play on and keep going, Jokers. You know who you are. Um, um, number two in the uh, eight um, eight play personalities. It's a funny word that's kind of weird to say. The kinesthete, kind of like the athlete, someone that needs to always move. They are someone, as a quoted, Stuart Brown quotes Sir Ken Robinson, he says, they're people who need to move in order to think. They are athletes, dancers. I'm actually going to read this off. I want Michelle to, to she's a dancer my next week's um, interview. She's going to tell you a little bit about what this is like. They're athletes and dancers. They're fidgeters, people who just cannot seem to sit still. They play games, like they may be the kind of people who play sports and that kind of thing, but usually a true kinesthete, they're not doing it for the competition. They just need to move. Um, one of my favorite TED Radio Hours um, was there was a gentleman named Sir Ken Robinson. He did a talk called How Do Schools Kill Creativity? In this talk, he describes Dame Jillian Lynn. He had some um, an interview with her and talked to her about, about what it was like being in school. And this was many, many, many years ago as a child. This is long before everyone was you know, diagnosed with ADD or whatever, you know, I, I know many people who do have ADHD, not in any way making light of it, but she was basically taken out of class and her mother was brought in and she was told that her mother was told that well, th what he was supposed to do was tell his, her mother that something was wrong with her, what this school official was supposed to do. What he did was pull her mother out of the room and there was a window into the room and she tells secondhand this conversation that this gentleman has with her mother, he says to her mother, watch your little girl. And when they left her alone in the room and they could see her, they could see in, she was jumping around on things, jumping, you know, she was dancing around, she was moving. If she had a moment to herself, just by herself, she would move. And to stick a woman, like person like this in to a classroom and expect them to sit still all day just didn't make any sense. She was just born to move. She moves to think she's, this is what she's supposed to do. And ultimately this woman goes on to become a world renowned dancer and choreographer. Um, you really need to listen to this Ted radio hour. It's one of my all time favorites. Um, I will link to this in the show notes as well, but I think you know, the kinesthete I'm learning too. Some kids these days don't even get a chance to learn to move. Um, PE is not as important as it once was. When I was a child and I became a musical person, I started doing music very early on. PE was one of those periods that was easy to, to ax out of my schedule. And so I stopped doing a lot of movement. I, I did no sports. I, I mainly sat in a chair and played an instrument. And I'm actually sad about that. I, I, I yeah, I became a pretty good musician but I didn't really participate in art. I didn't build things with my hands. I didn't learn how to move. I'm very grateful that as part of getting married, my husband and I um, chose to let me have a personal trainer for a little while. It's a huge luxury that I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's 
amazing and it's so worth it and it is a luxury um but this gentleman that I'm working with his name is Martin Mapoma he has a class for children called primal play and the more I am actually learning what it's like to have a strong body <laughs> to really understand how movement gives me energy when I let myself when I feel like there's no way I have enough energy movement is something that is brand new for me as a, as a middle-aged woman I am stunned by how much it's shaping my outlook right now and changing the way I look at the world and I know everyone has been telling me for years and years and years about exercise and how it changes you but I really do believe that um, even if we wouldn't consider ourselves kinesthetes, people who need to move in order to think. Um, there's a lot we can learn if we just allow ourselves to get out there, play kickball with our kids in the park, um, you know, whatever it takes to just get you moving. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm going to have him on the show, Martin, to talk about his work with his kids. So again, kinesthetes out there, keep moving. Don't let anyone tell you to slow down. Don't stop fidgeting. Um, yeah, I, I admire what you do. I admire, um, I admire your uh, tenacity. So stay out there and keep moving. Um, number three, the explorer. And there's a little explorer in everyone. I think there's a little of a lot of these in everyone. Um, there are different ways to be the explorer. I remember when my conversations with Meg, my, some of my first conversations with her about this, that we talked a little bit about on the second podcast she was the kind of person who would just go out and want to explore the world and being an explorer. And she, this woman now, I mean, she is just in every city you can imagine. I just they t telling me her itineraries these days, even though I want to travel, they make my head spin um, because she's this successful entrepreneur, et cetera, et cetera. But there are different ways to be an explorer. There are physical ways to being an explorer to physically visit cities to go all over your town to, to learn different, to, I don't know, go out into a field and look for rocks or, you know, just be that explorer. There's also a way of exploring emotions. Um, you can search for new types of feelings, maybe as you're, as you're dating and finding new kinds of relationships and seeing who the right people are for you. And, and maybe, you know, if you're the kind of person who likes to play it safe and not get too emotional, you maybe can go exploring and, and finding new types of people to interact with and find new levels of emotions that you never knew were there before. Um, another type of explorer are mental explorers, um, academics. They uh, discover new experiences. They want to always, always find out new points of view. I think for me, I'm more of a mental explorer than I am any of the others, although I relate a lot to the physical as well. I love one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I did this in London when I went there in my 20s was just like, let's get lost. Let's put the map away. Um, I will always find my way home because tube stops in London are pretty everywhere. If I did the same thing in New York, I would, yeah, it probably wouldn't have been a good idea back then. <laughs> but I'm an academic explorer. I was on the debate team because I loved looking at both sides of any topic and getting so well-versed in both sides of an argument that I could argue myself into oblivion. Um, I was a philosophy major, English major. I wanted to read all the things that all the people wrote. I wanted to know all the thoughts that all the people think. Um, 
definitely haven't gotten there yet, still working on it and will for a very, very long time. So even as a mental explorer, I have to say podcasts have been an amazing discovery for me. Probably been listening to podcasts, oh brother, so many years I don't even remember. I know I followed a few back when they first came out and I've been obsessed with them ever since. But it's given me a place to go type in a topic in iTunes and suddenly I'm getting, I'm getting classes. It's, and I think it's better than iTunes University because you can put in a topic and you have a fully produced show. Um, not just listening to a professor, which I love you professors. I do, but just hearing a recording of a professor talking is kind of hard to pay attention to in the car. But if you have someone dedicated to teaching who started a podcast, um, oh my goodness, the kinds of things you can learn. So just put in any topic, you can explore a whole world of thoughts and, and ideas, um, just, by listening in your car. So the number four is number four play personality is the competitor. Um, a competitor is a person who quotes from Stuart Brown, who breaks through into the euphoria and creativity of play by enjoying a competitive game with specific rules and enjoys playing to win. He's the terminator. She's the dominator. The competitor enjoys being number one. And this one is something I sometimes say that I don't have. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. I know when I was in debate, I was very, very aggressive. <laughs> I wanted also to be first chair in any instrument I played. I was diehard. I was going to be first chair flute and I fought and fought and fought until seventh grade. I had first chair locked in. And then there was a girl named Mia and Mia came and fought me every week until she beat me. And it just Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It was so hard. I cried. It was like the whole world had come to an end. So I took on Mia and I, week after week after week, we, we, uh, competed in these, these challenges as they called them. We would each go into a separate room from the rest of the band. We would play a piece and the band would have to vote on who was best. And whoever was best got the chair of the person that was being challenged or they got to keep their chair. So, I had an idea. I started playing the oboe and then I was the only oboe. Kind of not as fun, not really very competitive, but it was also fun to be the oboe player because nobody played oboe. Um, so yeah, I do have a competitive streak. I have to admit I don't in games. I don't in sports. Um, but I think we all have a, a little competitor in us and it's kind of fun to see, you know, what we might be able to do if we like just think a while of, what kinds of play we allow ourselves to, um, you know, be a part of. Number five, definitely don't, uh, don't, uh, relate to this one as much. It's the director. Directors enjoy planning and executing scenes and events. They're born organizers and at their best, they're party givers, the instigators of great excursions at their worst, they're manipulators, but all the world's a stage and the rest of us are only players in the director's game. And that's uh, Stuart Brown's way of describing directors. I do remember as I was a kid, I always let the other kids kind of set the scene. We always would play make believe. I would just be like, all right, you can be princess Leah. I'll be Luke Skywalker. It's all right. I want to be the princess. That's all right. I kind of didn't care. Um, I, if there was ever any occasion for a party or if something going on, usually there was always a woman in the room who was really, really passionate about what color tablecloths. And I would always just be like, that's your thing. You go, you know? And then I would 
volunteer to clean up at the end and be in charge of that. I never really enjoyed that part. I was even, I was an event planner for a little while, um, fell into it, didn't like it, only took me a year to get out because I just knew that it wasn't in my personality. And sometimes you can, if you're doing something, if you're engaged in, a, in an activity like I was there, where I, I knew I could do it, but then you see someone who's just born to do it. You know that this is something that they absolutely love. When they get in planning mode, um, it, there's just no stopping them. They're like a freight train. Um, I just attended a birthday party that was one of the most elaborate birthday parties I'd ever been to that started with an amazing day of, of almost like a scavenger hunt, but it wasn't a scavenger hunt. I can't go into detail now, but it was an entire day of her orchestrating fun for over a hundred of her friends throughout the city of Los Angeles. And then we ended up at amazing, at an amazing party afterwards, celebrating our achievements from the day. And it was, I couldn't even believe it. I could never, I could not have done what she did, not because I'm not capable, but just, oh my goodness, the drive it takes to be that kind of play person. Like she inspired me so much because she just embraced that part of her personality I don't even know if she does it for work, but she just created an amazing experience for all of us. And, um, yeah, and I, I do see that people with that personality, if, as Stuart Brown says, there can be elements of manipulation involved in those same types of personalities. But I think when it comes to play, um, they really do want to provide something fun, um, for their friends, for their family. I know us I'm involved in creating a camp for Burning Man and it's, and it's fun. I get to be part of a leadership team that puts on a camp and part of our job is to make sure that everyone has fun and has fun ways to participate in the camp and in the rest of, of the event. And I'm discovering a little bit of that in myself. I'm, I wouldn't have thought of myself as somebody who would want to do it, but as part of a team, I'm kind of excited and I'm coming up with some ideas and I'm not going to tell myself I'm not that because that's not fair. It's, I'm going to let myself explore my little director side and see what happens. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the directors, you, you, you give us so much fun. You, you keep us busy. Um, yeah, never a dull moment with you people. Thank you. Um, number six, the collector. Stuart Brand says the thrill of play for the collector is to have and hold the most, the best, the most interesting collection of objects is objects, objects is objects or experiences. Um, yeah, he, Stuart Brown mentions that, you know, it's not only objects, it can be experiences. He has a friend, um, who travels the world to see solar eclipses. That's pretty cool. Imagine that collection. And at the end of your life, you have this amazing, not only travel stories, but you were there to see all these amazing, um, solar um, cosmic events. Um, but I do know some people in my life. I'm actually sitting here in my tree house with the remnants of my former unicorn collection. <laughs> I had a, a mask collection, like the porcelain masks you'd hang on your wall. My mother has a collection of collections, as I used to call it when I was a kid. I, I collected cats and I collected all kinds of things. Um, my mother collected at different points in time, different types of dish sets. Um, she loves snowmen. So she, at Christmas that she would bring out all the snowmen in the house would just be filled with these cute snowmen. Um, chickens for the kitchen. We did chickens for a while. 
Um, she also collects fabrics. She's a, she's a quilter, and as part of her artistic side, she has stacks of beautiful fabrics that she just gets from all over and uses in her creations. Um, this kind of person makes Mother's Day really easy, and, you know, Christmas and birthdays for me and my dad. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this is exciting, and it gives... it. It's it's fun. I can see how how exciting excited how exciting it has been for her. I think if anything, I might collect books, and I have a really hard time letting go of them. And I have way too many of them. <laughs> um, right now, I'm more in and a mode of trying to collect experiences. That's what the 30 day fun challenge has been for me, um, and it's it's been challenging. And one of the reasons going through these play personalities is that. I don't always know what experiences to have. I, I kind of look at my day going, oh, what do I do? What do I do that's fun? And if I can look at these different types of play personalities, I can maybe challenge myself, what, what can I do today that might be along the lines of a, a collector, you know, or an artist creator? And we'll get to that one next. Um, but yeah, these, these personalities give me a way to, I don't know, try to look at the day differently. And I really want to collect experiences and I want, and I'm, I'm showing them on my Instagram feed with Megan sad and all the other people who are following along in the challenge. It's hashtag 30 day fun challenge with three zero and then day fun challenge. And that's where I'm collecting experiences right now. So I hope you want to follow me there and, um, we can, I'm at Kara Stewart on Instagram and Twitter. Um, but yeah, Megan's 30 day fun challenge has been an amazing thing for me. And that is where I collect experiences. Number seven is the artist slash creator. Um, it might sound like, you know, just people who paint or, you know, the art in the traditional sense. Um, and it might be the kind of thing where it's art that's seen by millions of people, or it could be something that is only ever seen by the person who creates it. It might be very, very personal, uh, maybe writing certain types of poetry, that kind of thing. Um, the fact is that you create it. It doesn't matter how it's received. It doesn't matter who sees it. It's beautiful to you. Um, there's another side to the artist creator, and that is that it can be beautiful or functional. And I know in the art world, people get very freaked out about something being functional. Is, is it art? And blah, blah, blah. And this is the design, not art. And I kind of don't care. <laughs> I know it's important. I know it's really important in the art world to, to, to think about these things, but people who just create whatever their motivation, it's amazing to me. And around the brewery, one of the things that surprised me the most when I moved here were the scientists and engineers and how their creativity branches over into art, but it starts with machines and it is unbelievable. Some of the stuff that these people do. Um, I, there are people here who work at SpaceX. Um, there are just such a variety of people who are artists and yeah, whatever you do, whatever you create, maybe it's just that you took your toaster apart and put it back together. I don't know. I hope you had it unplugged when you did it, but creating whether it be artistic or whether it be functional, whether it be being a mechanic, you are the person who brings us the innovative ideas. You're the person who brings us the little moments in our day where we see beauty. Um, yeah, I, I'm just blown away by artists. And I actually, for a while, tried to be an artist representative because I was so excited about living around all these artists. I only have a, had small glimpses of just how difficult the world is for an artist to to sell your work to get it out there 
um, it's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, yeah, I, I just, my hat is off to creators because you are doing some of the most amazing hard work out there, especially if you're tenacious enough to, to stick with it and try to make it your work, your job. And a lot of the people around me are doing that. And, um, they're the kind of people who inspire me to do the things that I fall in love with and want to do. Moving on to the last one, number eight of the play personalities, the storyteller. As Stuart Brown says, for the storyteller, imagination is the key to the kingdom of play. And I relate very deeply to this one, as well as several of my closer friends. Um, I'm going to have a woman named Amanda Kulong on. She's been working. Story is her life, and it's what she does, providing context. Um, she's used it in her work. She uses it for fun. I'm really excited to have her on soon. Um, novelists, playwrights, cartoonists, screenwriters, or those of us who love reading those things, who love consuming those things. My husband and I had a day and we could have gone out hiking. We could have done any number of wonderful things and we probably should have according to like, you know, health and stuff. But we spent the whole day binge watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Oh my goodness. I got so into, th I'm really, he, I'd never read comic books. I didn't know anything about the whole Marvel universe before I met him. Okay. I'm totally hooked and I'm totally a big nerd for that now. I love it. And we had a great time together yesterday. And I know I've talked before about how maybe, you know, binge watching and just vegging out, probably not the best way to play all the time. It kind of narrows us in, um, but you know what? We did it for the love of that story of the stories that we were seeing unfold. And if you, you get through season one, it wasn't that love in season one, but if you can get through about halfway through season one and keep going, it gets so good. Um, just, you know, had to say it. Um, but some of us that really get into story, whether we write them or not, we get so involved in the emotions of the characters and we imagine ourselves in those places. Have you ever come to the end of a book or a book series or even a television series and just felt like you were in this kind of weird black hole? I think there was actually a, a an advertisement that described perfectly, they called it a show hole. You're just so involved with these characters. You can't believe it's over. I know when I was a child and I'd be reading, when I got to the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, I cried and cried because I really missed those characters and just reading the story again wasn't enough. I needed more. I really craved more story about those characters, which of course would never happen. But that's because that's part of my play personality. I love imaginative play. I loved the never ending story as a kid, the movie that came out, I had read the book um, because it shows how real the world of imagination can be to a child. And that is exactly how it was for me. Um, and these people bring joy to so many parts of the world. I love living in Los Angeles. I'm at this point surrounded by artists. I have a, a friend here at the brewery. He has a, uh, he's a novelist. He has a podcast called Howl that I think I will definitely leave a, um, a uh, link to in the show notes. I got to work in the movie industry for a while. I was a PA. I got to learn about you know, I get to elicit in on pitch sessions from screenwriters. These people are out there creating the experiences and fun that we get when we get home from work and have had a long day and pour ourselves a glass of wine and, and watch something that will just take us into another place. 
Um, so yeah, I have a lot of ad for admiration for artists and I also do for storytellers, for the people who, who bring this to us because that play personality isn't just for the people who create the stories. It's for those of us who just devour them and love them. And, you know, I've, I've seen pictures of people cosplay and those kinds of things. They, they really do create imaginative worlds. And one of the things that I'm determined to, to find in my exploration of play for adults is make-believe. And make-believe was one of the most important things for, for me as a child when I would play. And I just wonder what happens to make-believe when we grow up and how can we use it? And that's something definitely going to be exploring in the coming months. Um, I've already have a couple of leads on some people that I want to interview about this. And there are some pretty interesting ways that we play make-believe as adults, but that's the kind of thing that I would like to continue to explore. If you have any ideas that you want to share about any of these play personalities, or you think there's somebody that you think would be a great person for me to interview, I would really love it for you to come to my website, come to playgrounding.com and click on the contact me. You can contact me there and send me an email, or you can send me a voice message via SpeakPipe. It's a little tab sticking out of the side of the website. Um, if you have something you'd like to share on the show, maybe your play personality, maybe something um, you're passionate about or something you've heard on the show, um, a reaction to something you heard on the show, anything, um, just go ahead and click on the speak pipe. You'll have three minutes to talk. Um, and if, I, if we need more than that, um, I'll give you a call. Just come be on the show. Um, I just want to hear from you. Um, seriously, just call, email. Um, just come to the website, playgrounding.com contact me and, um, yeah, send me your ideas because I really want this to be a community effort, um, as I'm learning. So that's it. I really wanted to just like sort of set up this next few months as, um, it's going to be a little, it's going to be a little similar. I'm definitely going to have guests, but I also just wanted to let you know that some of these guests are a little quirky. They're, they're people who have really dived, they've, they're, they've dived into their play personality, their play vision. What I really want them to do is to come back to maybe where I have been and talk to me about how they got there to, to sort of maybe inspire us. Um, I'm, I'm inspired every day being around these people. Um, but I want to, in each one of these upcoming interviews, say to each one of them, you know, what inspires you? And how do you use that? How did you get where you are? What kind of levers did you pull in your mind to like, make you believe that you could go there to do these different types of things than most people are doing. Um, and I think some of the answers you'll really, really love. So I will talk to you next week with my interview with Michelle Barton, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Playgrounding Podcast. Join me next week to hear from actress, producer, and dancer Michelle Barton. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.